Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. This is the time of the year when we go downstairs to the Salt and Light basement and bring up some of our favorite conversations. This week we have a featured interview with Pablo Barroso. He's a producer of the new film For Greater Glory, which tells the story of the Cristero War in Mexico. Natalie Hudson-Sonnen of Life Canada explains what the new personhood bill would mean for Canadians, and we meet singer-songwriters Tom Booth and Angelina. Remember that you can listen to any of these interviews at any time by simply going to our website, saltandlighttv.org radio, and that's also where you can listen to uninterrupted Christian music, Christian music like you've never heard before. Email us at radio at saltandlighttv.org, Follow us on Twitter at Salt and Light and visit us on Facebook. I'm Deacon Pedro. We begin now with the Mexican Cristero War. Now, did you know that in the early 1900s there was a brutal religious repression in Mexico? Did you know that this repression led to a civil war and that many Catholics, many priests, were martyred? For Greater Glory is a film that brings the truth of the Cristero War to the big screen. And it features a star-studded cast, including Andy Garcia, Peter O'Toole, Ruben Blades, Eduardo Verastegui, and Eva Longoria. And to tell us about the film and about the experience of making it, joining us now on the phone from Mexico is the film's producer, Pablo Barroso. Pablo, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Pedro, for allowing me to be with you and with your audience. No, it's very exciting. I, I love the fact that we can just pick up the phone and, and talk to you in Mexico. Um, most of our listeners, I suspect, have never heard of the Cristero War. Can you briefly tell us a little bit about the war? What, what's the background and why it happened? Yes, it's a very sad uh, episode in the Mexican history that has been written out of history books mm -hmm. about uh, a president, Plutarco Elias Calles, who... Uh, tried to enforce the the newly uh, 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 amendments of the Constitution of 1917, where these ones were against freedom, against religious freedoms, uh, so people couldn't uh, have confession if they didn't have a representative of the government in front. Really? They couldn't baptize their children with holy water. They, uh, there were a lot of things that were not uh, not possible to to to, port to portray. So that's why. Right. The people of Mexico reacted uh, with the through the democratic ways, raising more than two million signatures to change the Calles law. How that was the name they they called it. It right. didn't work, so they 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 attempted an economic boycott, which neither succeeded. So that's why they had to raise in arms, and some of them were deported. Some of them, uh, many of them, were to left to to the United States. Right. But it was really. Because of these heroes, some of them already uh, saints, some of them uh, yes. blessed. Yeah. Uh, I think that the, the, the history of the whole continent changed. I don't know what would have happened if these people wouldn't have stood up for their beliefs and and, and mm. fought for, for freedom. So Absolutely. this is a, a, a movie that really portrays these three years of this uh, war that uh, took more casualties than, than the Mexican Revolution. It was more than wow. 250,000 people uh, several more times than the Vietnam War and other wars. Wow. So it was a very unfortunate because it was brothers against brothers. And, mm. and it's something that uh, uh, is really difficult to to understand, no? because it, it was the, their way of life, their beliefs, their culture, and, right. and a, a, a an oppressive government who, who thought that they could uh, attempt against the religious freedom. So, right. Now, so you... I, 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 sorry. No, go, uh, you said that it had been erased from history. So, because I know a lot of Mexicans that don't even know the history, w why, why did that happen, and what kind of reaction have Mexicans had to the film? Well, we were in Mexico. Over uh, one and a half million people uh, watched the movie in, in theaters because it's a part of the history that nobody knew. Yeah, we have heard so, some bits and pieces about it, but no, nobody had uh, learned about it. I don't know what, why, how the government succeeded. Uh -huh. The founder of the of the party that ruled Mexico for over seventy years was the the same president that started all this. So maybe that was one okay, of the reasons. Okay, okay. But but, but, but uh, 
the real thing is that 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 in the movie we can show, which will show you, we will transport you to to Mexico in 1926. You will enjoy a, a history because since people have to pay for the for the tickets, we we, we have the challenge to do an entertaining with any production values of any studio of movie. Of course. And and the director didn't write who worked in Narnia, Lord of the Rings. He really understood yes. that vision, and and I'm very happy of of what he did. Uh, it, it over exceeded my expectations, and I think that's why more than 600,000 people already have watched it in, in the United States in theaters or yes. this weekend in 70 theaters. Thank you for, for your support and prayers. And, and we're trying to, to get the movie into Canada into, and into the rest of the world. We're very close to, to close some deals for, for Spain and Central and South America, Great. and a little bit further for the Canada market, but hopefully we can. Uh, get that done uh, in in a few weeks, so we Hopefully, can yes. have, uh, uh, ask for your prayers and for your support as soon as yeah. it comes out in theaters. For sure. Now you mentioned that a lot of the people that were killed, some were priests that were killed during the war, uh, have been beatified or made saints. Is this film a story? I mean, it's a good story uh, either way. But is it uh, is it a movie that you wanted to make? Because it's a, you're making a statement about religious freedom or about the Catholic Church, what was your intent? Well, well, we started this movie more than three years ago, so we didn't have knew anything that was going to happen in the world, not only in the in the religious freedom area. I, I, right. I think it, we're trying to do uh, great movies with uh, to 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 try to give a message out that we could take our children and and with good values and moral values and Christian values. And this was a movie, a, a story that when I read the first script, I said, "This is something we have to support because we really need to show the world uh, the, the testimony and the yes. the reality of of this real story of these real people." That, for example, we have Peter O'Toole portraying Father Magallanes. He's already a, a saint, yes. canonized by John Paul II, uh -huh. and uh, we have also Blessed Jose Sanchez del Rio. Uh -huh. We have also uh, other priests, like one of them is, is a martyr from the Knights of Columbus, yeah. uh, Jose Maria Robles Hurtado. Yeah. So th th there's a lot of, of persons, but everything that is in the movie is real. All of the characters are real, and their stories are breathtaking. You will see a person that, that stood up against 14 soldiers by himself. Wow. You will see uh, Anac uh, Blessed Anacleto. Gonzalez, which also Flores, which yeah. also oh. tried to do everything in, in, in the peaceful means. Uh -huh. You will see the women because women had a they they did the brigades of Saint uh, jo John of Arc, uh -huh. and all of them were really very brave because it was this was a war that it was all over the country. It was not only an episode of, of uh, on a local part. It was uh, on, in all the width and, and length of the country, and, and women took a very special role to to provide supplies to provide uh, medicine to heal the the sick to to bring uh, uh, food so this was really a war that it was not only on a social scale it was everyone and everywhere uh, trying to to maintain and keep up for their faith so this was really a, sto a story that really moved me and, right. and moved everyone I, I think that's why Andy Garcia took the role that he, he didn't believe that this was a real story then we have also uh, James Horner, who did the scores for uh -huh. Avatar and Titanic, who, who was really uh, blown away by, by, by the story itself, and he was a really supporter of the film. So I think everybody was really shocked about this real story for freedom, and I think they, they thought the same thing as, as when I got the first script uh, into my hands. Absolutely. Now, I, when well, the Holy Father was in Mexico um, last year, we had a chance to, or earlier this year, we, we had a chance to to look at the church in Mexico. And I find it hard to believe that the church in Mexico went through a time period like this because it seems to be such a strong church. Um, well, yes, that, that, that's something very peculiar that everybody thinks, well, it was so close both in time and 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 border-wise, and, and nobody knows about it. Yes, the, yeah. the, this, everything starts in 1923 when the apostolic delegate, which was at that time in Mexico, blessed the construction of the monument to, Long, to Christ the King. Uh -huh. He was reported because of that act. And if it wasn't for these people, then I, I don't know 
if we could be professing uh, our faith and, and and believing in God in peace, but also I, I definitely don't think that the Pope could have come to a Catholic country and to celebrate the Holy Mass in the base of that same monument where everything started 80 years ago. I know, amazing, and look at where you are now. Thanks to the work of people like you and your cast and crew who are telling a great story, I really look forward to this film coming to Canada, but also to other other countries. Um, as you mentioned, the film is still in theaters in the United States, in 70 theaters. If people go to the website for greaterglory.com, they can find out more information as to what theater is nearest to them. So, Pablo, it's been a great pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your history, of your country, and, and this great film with us today. Well, thank you very much. Very nice to, to meet you, and God bless you. That was Pablo Barroso, producer of the film For Greater Glory. Again, to learn more, go to forgreaterglory.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Angelina, with Here I Am, Lord. I, the Lord of sea and sky, I have heard my people cry, all who dwell in dark and sin. was Angelina with Here I Am Lord by Dan Schutte from her album Assembled. You may have heard of a little 10-year-old girl who had a huge voice and put out a rosary CD. You may have also seen some of her music videos recorded all over Europe. Angelina is one of those wonderfully gifted people, but someone who didn't just take her gift for her own profit, but to glorify God and to help her fellow human beings. She has over 10 albums, has been featured in many TV programs on EWTN, on various 
Catholic events. She's received many United Catholic Music Video Awards. She sang for Pope John Paul II. She's really been around. Earlier this week, I had the chance to speak with Angelina. Angelina, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Uh, it's great to have you in the program, finally. Um, you've, ah. been, you've been singing since you're like, well, singing professionally since you're about, what, 10 years old? Yes, actually, I've been singing professionally since I was 10 and recording, and yeah. I've pretty much been told that I came out singing. Okay, good, because <laughs> I was going to ask you, I, I like to ask uh, our guests about their musical influences and what it was like growing up, you know, and I presume it was a very musical home. Well, actually, I mean, my mom and my dad were both uh, very much not musicians. Oh, really? <laughs> they, they both didn't sing, really. They both loved music, though. My mom really loved music and always had me listening to things, different things. And so I, I would say definitely that influence is what kept me going and singing. And I loved entertaining also. Right now, but did you, did you do uh, vocal lessons or did you, did you do any music lessons? Um, when I was young, I started doing uh, voice lessons about 10, 10, 11 years old. But, okay. I mean, it wasn't actual voice lessons. It was mostly just like learning how to do breathing exercises right. and learning how to project. So that was, uh, that was all we really did. And do you remember being a little girl and thinking that, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a, a singer or a classical singer? Or I mean, I was, when I was a little girl, I was, had those normal little girl dreams. And I wanted to be everything from a trapeze artist <laughs> to, <laughs> you know, an artist to um, a singer. So I definitely think that just that whole idea of performing and loving the joy of making other people happy, that was right. my main thing. You that was what I really loved. And have you done trapeze? <laughs> <laughs> no. Because that I would be good. so bad, though. I still think about it all the you time. You still can. <laughs> You're still young. I know. Listen, I, I was going to ask you about kind of why you do what you do, and at what point growing up did you think this is more than just entertaining people or making people happy or 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 even worshiping God? Uh, there's something about ministry here. That, when did that shift happen for you? Um, I think there's this understanding as a musician sometimes that you have, and especially as a singer, that. Um, when you're performing for people and when you're done and the person comes up to you at the at the end of your performance and they tell you how much that it's touched them yeah and how how important what you said even if it even if it was just a sentence you know that you said before you started singing right um how important it was to them that you said that and i think it was you know when i was pretty young someone people would come up and say you know for someone so young, you, you have such a big voice and you yeah. have such a big gift. And I think that was the point that I realized that it was something special and needed to be shared in a way that wasn't necessarily secular, but um, had a little, had more depth to it and meaning to right. it. Right. Was it difficult, I'm not sure exactly how to ask this, but was it difficult growing up, to grow up? Because to be a, a little girl with such a big voice... And then to grow up, and you're not a little girl anymore. You still have a big voice. Yeah. But how did that transition happen for you? You know, I mean, everybody thinks, oh, look, Angelina, she's so cute. She's such a little girl with this amazing voice. And, and maybe you're not that cute anymore. Well, <laughs> I think you're cute. <laughs> I think you're cute. Um, you know, but we don't see you as a little girl anymore. You're a young woman, but you still have this perfect voice. Did, was it difficult growing up, or did that kind of actually help you? I um I think that it definitely aided in my social maturity was a lot it surpassed a lot of people that I grew up with. Right. I knew how to deal with social social situations and things like that really well because of the fact that at a young age I was conducting interviews and things like right, that, you right. know. But then also it was about when I was I think 16 or 17 and I was singing somewhere and someone came up to me, and they were like, 
I, you were, you're 11, aren't you? And I said, no, no, I'm not 11. I know, said, not anymore. This CD I have of you, you're, you're 11 years old in this CD. And I was like, no, I'm 16 now. Yeah. And so it's very shocking to people that now I'm, I'm 24 years old. Yeah. And um, some people are very shocked when they see me. They're like, oh, my goodness, I remember when you were, you know, standing knee height, you know? So, right, right. Well, um, it's, it's sometimes a little shocking. Or they think, oh, now she's 24, she's probably not singing anymore, she's doing yeah. drugs, or she's divorced. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. People ask me if I have kids, and I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't have any kids yet. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for keeping me in mind, though. <laughs> right. I was, I was, I was uh, reading in, in your website that you had, there are two uh, gospel passages that have been very uh, meaningful to you or maybe even instrumental in, in, in focusing your ministry. Matthew 14, when, when Peter's invited to step out of the boat. Yes. And then Mark 10, when, when, children, when Jesus tells his disciples, you know, let the children come to me. What, what is it about those two that... I would definitely say uh, the first one. I remember being little in school, and we would be, you know, told to do like a drawing from our favorite Bible mm-hmm. passage or anything like that. And that one in particular is very, very meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that feeling of being, you should be fearless. Right. You know, it's that feeling that you should be fearless. You shouldn't be afraid you say and do what you truly feel is right Mm -hmm. and you know is right Mm -hmm. and that feeling of just putting yourself in his hands that's a beautiful message and that one to me above everything else is how i live my life daily right right nice so that one means a lot to me and actually that's why i really wanted to listen to the song here i am lord Uh because like that song is one of my top 10 favorite i think for a lot of people yeah (laughs) you know yeah that's true yeah and and the mark 10 one when i started doing my ministry um it was to invite people to find their own gifts and even though i was really young and i had been given a gift that was very you could hear it it was audible you know that we all have special gifts right so i think that was something that was really important to get to people about yeah. why I was doing what I was doing. Right. Just to inspire them in hopes, too. Right. Now, you've had some, some pretty neat experiences, um, and I, I, I love the music video part of it. So you got the chance to be in Italy and Ireland and Poland and Lourdes. Yeah. Um, and that must have been, because, again, you were a teenager for mm-hmm. a lot of these, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what were those experiences like? Um. Those were probably the most wonderful, growing experiences, not only as a musician and a performer, but also just as a person, being able to go to these different places and go to these pilgrimages, pretty much. Um, Poland was probably the most beautiful experience that really? I have ever endured. Really? Yeah, I, I, it was such a spiritual awakening as far as being able to also, which I, you know, we didn't really get to show in the travel log in the video, but going to World War II um, yeah. historical spots yeah. and being able to see that and seeing, you know, what happens to people of faith sometimes and how they're persecuted. Hmm. And that was just a beautiful experience and one of the most moving experiences of my life. Right, and, and you sang for the Pope. I that was yeah. One Christmas, I was invited to come sing for the Pope for the blessing of the Nativity. Right. So yeah. I was the only American that year too. So I was the lonely American singing, smushed up between like all these Italians and Germans singing, and singing like and do you hear what I hear? Or something. Yeah, it was it was very cold. But the Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, was there. Yes, he was actually, v- and that was actually in the beginning of his super super ailments and sickness. Oh yeah. So he, like, popped out for a second and then went back to his window and chilled there. <laughs> right. Oh, but he was there. Yes. That must have been amazing. It was amazing. And going to Mass that night was yeah. so amazing because, you know, they, we randomly got the tickets to go to Midnight Mass. So we were allowed to go, and it was just beautiful. And, 
you know, me and my mom and my dad and my brother were there, yeah. and my, me and my mom were crying, and my dad of started course. to, you know, get a little teary-eyed. It was a beautiful experience. Now, I know that there's, there's, uh, you've been begin, begun some, you have like 10 recordings or something, but you're working on a new project that's, uh, there's a bit of transition in your life right now, but can you tell us a little bit about what this new project is going to be? Um, it's going to be about, this is the best thing that I can say, it's American traditional. Yeah. So it's got traditional values and songs that a lot of us have grown up with. And I am saying, you know, it is kind of a few of the songs are very, like, southern songs. Oh, nice. <laughs> like gospel. Yes, exactly. Nice. So it's that feel, and it's, it's a, I wanted to do something like this because, you know, I grew up around that, this kind of music. Mm -hmm. And I grew up around traditional Catholic music, but then I also grew up around a few gospel songs. And, you know, my mom's grandmother lo really loved that. My dad's family really loved that. Yeah, yeah. And also, my father is finally becoming a Catholic. Oh, wow. So, yeah, <laughs> he's finally becoming a Catholic this week. And I thought, what a beautiful idea to mix traditional gospel music with Catholic music on an album. Oh, good. And, you know, because that's my dad's background, is right. traditional gospel songs. Oh, so, well, good. Yeah. Wow, I'm looking forward to, to hearing that. I, I want, make sure you let us know when it's out so we can get you back on the program yeah. and play some songs <laughs> from it. Um, and congratulations to your dad. Oh, yeah, th thank you. I'll tell him. <laughs> tell He's him. excited. It's been a long time coming, well, but it's finally happening. Amazing. Anyway, that's all the time we have, Angelina, but it's been a, a great pleasure speaking with you and getting to know you a little better and, and for our listeners to listen to your music. Um, let's stay in touch, okay? All right, awesome. Thank you so much for having me, and God bless you. You too. That was our Featured Artist of the Week, Angelina, who I spoke with earlier in the week. If you want to learn more and purchase her music, visit her at angelinasings.com. Here now is Angelina with Wade in the Water from her album, Assembled.
Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro Guevara Mann. Here in Canada, Conservative Member of Parliament for Kitchener Centre, Stephen Woodworth, has proposed a motion, Motion 312, that calls for the formation of a special committee to determine when a human being is formed. People are calling this the personhood bill, as it would, in effect, define when someone is recognized as a person under the Canadian Criminal Code. And to explain what all this would mean, we're now joined by Natalie Hudson-Sonnen. She's the Executive Director of Life Canada. Natalie, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Pedro. So can you explain, I kind of tried to explain it a little bit, but can you maybe do a little better explanation of what Motion 312 is? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a motion, so it's not a bill. It's not a piece of legislation. Yeah. And in fact, it has no legislative consequences. So basically, it's a motion to look at uh, Canadian Criminal Code Section 223 mm-hmm. um, and to discuss it. So they, they wanted to strike a committee that will look at this definition from a medical and a scientific point of view and discuss whether or not this section, 223, yeah. needs to be updated. And basically what, what it states is that a child becomes a human being within the meaning of this act when it has completely proceeded in a living state from the body of its mother. So, sorry, before you continue, let me just mm. clarify, because how do we go from defining a human being to defining a person? Are those two things not, the, are they different? I think, they're, I think they are legally, yes. Legally, they're um, different. Personhood, I think, has different legal implications. Um, and, and my understanding is that this motion is not about personhood. It's about whether or not, uh, when a, human, a child becomes a human being. Because you think that that would be, uh, <coughs> uh, maybe I'm sort of being biased here, but a no-brainer. I mean, if you're a member of the human species at conception, yes. you're a human being. That's right. You'd be a person, and personhood would just be... Automatic. Um, automatic, yes. But I, I, I think um, this has kind of been an issue, particularly with the abortion issue, is that people have said, well, yes, 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 of course, it's a human being, but it's not a person. And only a person can, can have legal status. And Which, only a person then can have rights and that sort of thing. Like but but I, I think what Stephen Woodworth is doing is, is kind of getting around that and just saying, look, let's just talk about whether, and the, the, the language of the criminal code is whether a child is a human being. A, ch- a child in the womb. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Isn't it incredible? <laughs> so, so let me just, again, maybe ask, ask, ask it differently. Currently, under the law in Canada, or under the Charter, the Canadian Charter of Rights, mm-hmm. it, it, the, uh, a child in the womb is, and the mother are considered one person. If um, a woman is pregnant. I, yeah, well, under the Charter of... It's, it's actually... This is under the Canadian Criminal Code. The Criminal Code, sorry. Right, right. So, it, it's not actually even... It's, it's, I'm not even sure if they would go so far as to say that. They're just, they're just saying that the child is not a human being. That, that's all they're saying is that the child is not a human being until it is completely proceeded in a living state from the body of its mother. Okay. So, so completely proceeded. Yes, so alive. Everything yes. alive. So, mm-hmm. and okay, and you also were clear to say that it's not a bill, it's a motion. And that it has right. no legislative power. So this is just, if the motion is passed, it just means that the members of parliament are, are agreeing that this is a conversation that we should have. Yes, yes. And basically a committee will then be struck, and the committee will consult with doctors and scientists, the scientific community. They'll bring in experts, and they'll kind of look into this and decide whether or not this is actually the case, that a child is not a human being until it's proceeded from its mother's body. And could... I mean, like, what are the possibilities, do you think, I mean, could they determine that a child becomes, quote-unquote, a human being at three months? Or, like, is that a possibility in this conversation? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, they could say it becomes a human being at conception. They could say three months, six months. Um, we we don't know. So, and, and, and Stephen Woodworth, a member who's put this motion forward, he's, he's not even going to go there at, at this point yet, you know, he's sort of saying, well, this committee could go anywhere. I just want the committee. So, I just want to discuss this in a scientific and, and, and medical 
um, context. Even if the result of the conversation is that they decide that, no, you become a human being at birth. Yes, he's willing, he's willing yes. to, yeah. Because, to, because he to trusts, kind of I guess he there. trusts the science. He mm -hmm. trusts the science, and so would I, I think. Um, yes. So, okay, again, back to kind of the practical aspects of it. So it was the motion has to be debated no matter what. So it was debated about a month ago for an hour. That's right. And it's going to be debated again for an hour next week? Yes, on June 7th. And then it's scheduled to go to vote on June 13th. That's right. And then do you know more or less how the discussion went? Is that all that stuff private or do we know how much support uh, Mr. Woodworth is getting? Or Well, I was there, actually. I was there in the gallery when he gave his presentation. Really? Yeah, it was interesting. He spoke very well. It, it's uh, and I think uh, the Hansard text you can you can actually get the whole text of his speech. Yeah. And then each party was allowed um, uh, a response, so uh -huh. a rebuttal. So, so it kind of each, went around each political party. That's right. Okay. Uh, um, so, but was it a, how much of a discussion was it in terms? It of wasn't. It wasn't really a debate, and in, in, in that you know Stephen uh, Woodworth gave his speech and then somebody from the Liberal Party stood up and, and spoke for 10 minutes and then somebody from the NDP spoke and then it came back around to the Conservatives um, and uh, the um, I forget his name now Mr. O'Connor I believe uh -huh. stood up and spoke to it against it unfortunately and then uh, you know it went around again for, for the hour and then it was um, closed. And is it the kind of thing that was it like full house or because sometimes MPs don't show up for these things? Yeah, interestingly, it was not a full house no. and there were a lot of MPs that were missing. Presumably a lot of pro-life MPs were there? Yes, um, there there were definitely members from the pro-life parliamentary caucus yeah, who and, were present. Mm -hmm. And from what you heard of the discussion, were the comments that, that were raised, were they, I mean, was it sensible? Was it an intelligent conversation or were people still kind of going back to the abortion issue? They, they definitely went back to the abortion issue, and it was a lot of the rhetoric that, you know, this debate is closed, really? that we have decided this debate a long time ago, and how dare they challenge women's rights, and this sort of thing. So it was, the language was very inflammatory, unfortunately. It was. Um, despite the fact that Stephen Woodruff himself just kept saying, this is something that I feel is, is archaic, the language is not medically and scientifically yeah. tenable. You're setting up a position where the law says that some human beings are not human beings, and the implications of that are very dangerous, and we need to talk about it. Right. So he, that was his main point. Right. So if, let's say, in the case that this motion would be accepted, and so the com committee was created, and let's say that the committee mm -hmm. was sensible enough to accept science, and they would redefine essentially redefined personhood. They would, they, what they would do is for the sake of homicide laws, they would redefine Section 223 of the Canadian Criminal Code, which, it, see, that the, the, this section deals with homicide. So they would then have to decide um, if, if, you know, the, the human being is a human being at the moment of conception, then they would have to rethink this in, in terms of what would then be a homicide. Exactly. So presumably, mm -hmm. and this is what I guess all the, the pro-abortion people are concerned about, is that presumably this could mean that if personhood, you know, if someone inside the womb is considered a person mm -hmm. with individual rights and freedoms under the criminal code, then abortion would would be considered homicide. I I, I suppose there are those are the implications down the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, w is there anything that people can do at this stage? Some of our listeners that might be interested or concerned. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's uh, the official pe petition, um, and it's very important, actually, that the petitions get signed and sent to their members of parliament, because okay. when a member of parliament receives a, p a petition of 25 names or more, they have to stand up in the House of Commons and present it. Oh, They're so obligated. So 25 so, names or more. 
That's right. So these would be hand-signed petitions with your name and address and so on. And it can go to any member of parliament. It doesn't have to go to to your member of parliament in your riding. It can go to any member of parliament who will stand up, who you know will, you know, take this obligation seriously so this is and the stand petition. up in the House. This is the petition that's on your website, lifecanada.org? Yes. That's um, right. If you, people go to lifecanada.org, go to the petitions section. That's right. And they can it's, print the form? They can print up the form. They can also sign our online petition. Okay. Um, and that's just showing support in general okay. for this whole thing. So you can but, do both. Um, they can do both. Mm-hmm. So I should print it and get everybody at my work to sign it, and then I that's can send right. it to my own MP. That's right. Okay, so then that's something really, really useful and tangible that we can do. It is. And Stephen Woodworth, um, you know, we've been talking back and forth with him, has asked that people please contact their members of parliament and urge them to vote in favor of this. Okay. Um, It definitely, I mean, obviously the the long-term implications of this are quite serious, as abortion is a serious issue. Mm -hmm. And um, I I just want to say this, that the majority of Canadians do support some kind of legislative protection for unborn human life. Yes. Um, Our polling shows that, you know, it's as high as 72% on an annual basis. Yes. So, you know, it's something that that, uh, is is on the hearts and minds of Canadians. They want to see some kind of legal protection. Some protection, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we're going to leave it at that. But this has been very informative, I hope. Uh, For me, it has been, but I hope for our listeners. And and it's good to to give them something to do. So we've been speaking. uh, Thank you very much, Natalie. You're very welcome. So that was Natalie Hudson-Sonnen. She's the Executive Director of Life Canada. Again, if you want to learn more about Motion 312, visit their website, lifecanada.org, and go to the petitions section. There's information there, and you can print the petition. You can also sign the online petition um, and support this motion. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Tom Booth, with his song, Captured, from the album of the same name. Like a monument I have built my own meaning And the test of time To resist the winds Even though the winds might be you I have built my monument Under the weight of my own importance Storm of love, I am ready to be.
That was Tom Booth with the title track of his album, Captured. Now, I met Tom Booth more than 10 years ago at some Catholic conference. I think it was the National Catholic Youth Conference, NCYC, in 2001. That year it was in Indianapolis. And I remember because we were getting ready for World Youth Day 2002. And Tom is one of those Catholic singers who's been in ministry faithfully now, I think, and he's going to correct me in a little bit, but I think for almost 25 years. He's been involved with many, many projects, many national initiatives. Uh, Probably one of the bigger ones that you might recognize is Life Teen. And also he's done a lot of work with Franciscan University. Um, And we'll talk about all the other stuff that he's been doing. But I'm so excited to have Tom Booth join me now on Salt and Light Radio. Tom, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you. Thank you for having me on. So before we kind of go through all the kajillion things you're doing, I want to back up. So what was it like growing up in the Booth household? Was it a Catholic home? Was Was it full of music? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, My parents were converts to the church. Oh, yeah. uh, In the the 1950s. So I'm like the first generation Catholic in our our family. Um, My dad, very passionate musician, singer, drummer. Uh, My mom sang in choir. But we just grew up with uh, a happy home. It was a, a very artistic home. Yeah. Do you have siblings, brothers, sisters? Oh, yeah, yeah. My brother is the better singer and a great drummer. <laughs> oh, really, really amazing dude. And my sisters all danced and sang and were in plays. And yeah, so it was a loud, happy home. Okay, so like, did your parents make you guys like play together and you do like the Von Trapp thing? or? We never really did the Von Trapp thing. I suppo- Well, I do remember early on, Everybody picking parts in musicals when we played the soundtrack, you know. Oh yeah. But uh, <laughs> but it was a very creative, uh, very creative, supportive home, especially with the arts. I think the arts were kind of something we were to do. Yeah. Now I know when you went to university, you studied music. So were you taking like piano lessons and stuff growing up as well? Well, I took guitar lessons. Guitar. Um, I took piano lessons in college. Uh, but mainly guitar. I didn't start till I was in the eighth grade. But my brother and I and my dad all played the drums. And the reason I started playing guitar is I thought, well, this is boring. Three drummers. <laughs> what are we going to do? Stomp. You know, but we could have done stomp. We yeah, exactly. The first one. You, know? you could have the booth stomp. See, missed opportunity. So, did you as a because I want to know how you got into ministry. Did you kind of, were you always faithful Catholic that you never had any issues with the church or did you go through a little bit of a conversion experience or anything like that? Uh, the latter of the two. I never had any issues with the church, but I had no issues with the church, meaning no real connection. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, so for me it was definitely a conversion at the age of 17, a real encounter with Jesus. I was welcomed into a charismatic prayer meeting. Yeah. Um, had good priests who would listen to me, talk, to, talk, you know, answer my questions. But it was really pain uh, that introduced me to God. <laughs> As it often happens. <laughs> yeah, but it was a beautiful pain, right? Anything that introduces us to Jesus, the Scriptures, the Holy Mass, uh, and that's what it was like for me. Yeah. Now, how did you get involved with the Life Teen Gang? Well, we kind of started it. Uh, I was, uh, you know, when I got out of college, um, you know, I wanted to serve God. I wanted to serve the church. And I had a, you know, experience in music and philosophy and religious studies. And so you go to a parish and the priest says, you work with the kids. Yeah, of course. Um, I never felt like I was that hip, but I I love God and I love the church and I I love to write music. So basically we started this evening mass way back in 1985 mm-hmm. and it grew into this movement called life teen and uh, i haven't been really directly involved with life teen in many years but still know the good people that are that are doing that outreach and of course you know very happy to have been a small part of it yeah no that's great and i know a lot of people we actually have life teen in my parish it exists everywhere it's truly a movement so you were part of like that started in your parish it was your youth mass that you were that's amazing <laughs> 
Yeah, sometimes I'm um, thanks for it, and sometimes I'm, you know, <laughs> not so thanks for it. But all we were simply trying to do, Pedro, is, you know, of course the Mass is relevant to any human person because it answers the, you know, the, the core of who we are, yeah. uh, the hunger for God, right? Natural law says we need God. So, yes. But I, what I was trying to do is music that was relevant to the culture that was around me, speaking in a language that young people would understand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it worked. Um, now, you're very busy. You have a band. You're touring. You you do some preaching and singing. You do parish missions. You own and operate a recording studio, and you're producing some uh, a lot of people, but some Catholic artists, actually some Salt and Light, uh, our guests like Danielle Rose and Steve Angrisano, some of the ones that we know. Um, you also, I'm not quite sure what you're doing part-time for Oregon Catholic Press and Spirit and Song. You're married, <laughs> you have three kids. That's, <laughs> do you have like... I wish I could, I wish part of that wasn't true, but it's all true. But we should start with the married and three kids. D you know, yes. first location is to Tammy and our three kids are, my goodness, 20, 19, and 14. Amazing. That's the ages, respectively, and they're beautiful, beautiful, artistic, wonderful kids that I learn from daily. But of course, Tammy is is first, and then all of that ministry is true. I guess it'd be important to tell you that we moved five and a half years ago to the deserts of Tucson uh -huh. to slow down, you know, to slow down and to pray differently. Uh, I'm really trying to nurture the, the, my contemplative spirit, which I've discovered in the midst of all this human doing, that I really am a contemplative. Yeah. Um, and so, but it's amazing. You go away and you pray and you read and you be quiet, and all of a sudden you have more to say, so... Yeah, that's uh, true. That, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> no, it's true. Hey, better than sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> well, though, however, <laughs> sometimes that is the injunction to the contemplative. Sit there and do nothing and just be. So that's the challenge eh, for me. I, I should do know. more of nothing. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Contemplatives, you know, it's like, I don't know, I mean, you know, Benedictine monks or whatever, and you think that all they do is sit and pray. I mean, they do have a regimented sort of prayer life in terms of sanctifying the day and maybe that's what you're saying that you're missing i'm not sure um uh, but they're just as busy with you know this or that or making candles or feeding the chickens or yeah. whatever they're doing so work is yeah. good work is good work sanctifies I, the work is great i just for me is i was in a place and maybe there's youth ministers music ministers i'm sure even priests and sisters and deacons who would know this that we just work, work, work without prayer yes. we're in a dangerous place. And, you know, so for me, just trying to make sure I'm rooted in prayer, rooted in the quiet, you know, rooted in the sacraments, um, and then from their minister. That's just my own challenge. No, you know? yeah, and you have to because, and I, I, I mean, I, was, I wanted to ask you about songwriting and how can you write the kind of music that you write if you're not rooted in prayer anyway? I mean, you just... <laughs> You, you just finished yeah. writing, t I mean, you, it's funny, we're talking about moving to the desert. You just finished uh, recording the new setting of this, this new mass, the mass of the desert. So how can you yeah. ev even begin I'm to... I'm so excited about that setting, yeah. But I, I, I can... And, and it's something, yeah? No, I was going to say, I can imagine that you have to be rooted in prayer to write a mass setting. Well, I've done it the other way. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> That's not the answer you know, I'm looking for, man. I mean, isn't that true, though? I mean, we have all ministered. I mean, yeah. that's the challenge. You know, that our you. ministry flows out of our prayer. True. And our life flows out of our prayer, not the other way around. And, you know, um, it's not shaking a finger and shooting shame and blame, but it's just, for me, after all these years of ministry, just wanting to make sure I'm really rooted in, in the Spirit, have good spiritual direction, um, yeah. you know, people that I can can answer to and that's all but it's not about not doing yeah it's just of talking about doing better you know and what I've discovered is and in 04 I had a new commitment to the interior life and to you know really to be a man of prayer all, what happens and you know this better all of a sudden there's just so much more clarity and it's, it's like you you mentioned the monks you know their work is just going to flow all the better so hopefully that's what's happening and um, this Mass of the Desert, very excited about that. Very excited about producing these younger artists and mentoring them. Yeah. And what's great is inviting them to the desert and bringing them here. And the first thing I do is say, keep your guitar in your case. Let's go to the chapel. Let's go for a walk. Let's nice. talk about 
the body, soul, and spirit, and uh, you know, being a a sound human person, and then let's minister from that place. It sounds sounds great. I I need to go to the desert. Um, <laughs> Come on out, man. <laughs> so, uh, uh, other than this mass, so this mass, you've just recorded it, but it's not published yet. Like, is it? Is it's it not published yet? Is it OCP? Yeah, OCP is very interested. Yeah. Okay. And um, had I've been touring with these uh, these great musicians, and we we really are brothers in faith and in music. And when we recorded this, these parts, it's just really powerful stuff. So that and some new songs as well. Okay, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, and we need to get you up here back to Canada, my friend. Well, do you know? I don't know if we ever had this conversation. I'm 25 percent Canadian. We might I've have never, had this conversation. I've never told you that. I, well, maybe, maybe 25 percent, like a grandparent. Yeah, like a grandparent. Yeah, my grandmother <laughs> is uh, Edmonton. You know, oh. so my mom's mom. Yeah, is full on. And so, wow. Yeah. So, what are you so, waiting for? <laughs> forget, forget the deserts of Arizona. You can go to the deserts of the Yukon. Bring me out there. I will come with the band. I'll come by myself, whatever, with my wife, and we'll play music and eat sushi and minister. Eat sushi. Absolutely. Anyway, this is great. It's been great having you on the program. Great chatting with you because it's been a while. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you're busy, and I'll I'll pray for you, my friend, that you uh, stay rooted. Can I say thank you to you, Pedro, the the ministry you have been doing consistently and, and in such a classy way i from afar we know each other but i admire you and really thank you for what you're doing for the lord for the church for the kingdom well thank you you know everybody's got their place and their gifts so that's what we do um thank you and uh, let's stay in touch okay pray for me man god bless you I will. that was tom booth he joined us on the phone from the desert in arizona he was our featured artist of the week you can learn more about tom or to get how to find out how to get his music check him out at tom booth music Here now is Tom Booth with his song. I love this song, and speaking of the desert, I think this is totally appropriate. Sacred Silence from his album, Unravel. Sacred silence, holy ocean, gentle water washing over me. Help me listen. Holy Spirit, come and speak to me. God, my Father, Christ, my brother, Holy Spirit, sanctifying me. Lord, I'm sorry. That concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Saints and angels All in heaven